My name is Julie Turney, and this is HR Sound Off, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent HR topics. But ultimately, we will be settling some of the many misconceptions that people have about the human resources profession. Some weeks you will hear from my guests, and other times it will be just you and me in the sound booth. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's sound off. As HR professionals, we touch a lot of functions in the HR space. We also cover a gambit of topics as it relates to culture, transformation, digital transformation, all in the HR space. But as we see what's happening with COVID-19, one of the things that we've recognized is the importance to be more agile and adaptable to the workforce. And with that comes the thoughts of how do we handle the gig economy? Here to discuss this topic with me today is Dr. Rochelle Haynes. We're going to talk a lot about what the gig economy is, what it means for us, and how we as HR professionals can be better prepared, especially coming out of COVID-19. Rochelle, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Do you prefer Dr. Haynes or is Rochelle okay? Rochelle is perfect. (laughs) Okay, great. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get here? Hmm. How did I get here, you mean, in terms of the topic of the gig economy? Yes. Um, Your interest in the gig economy, yes. Yeah, it started probably um, about three years ago as a project um, that I was doing with some Brazilian colleagues. So um, I, I lecture in HR and I also practice in HR through consultancy. And one of the things that always stuck out to me sometimes was, um, well, that stuck out to me in certain instances was um, that um, the gap sometimes between what we teach and what we practice. And one of the things I started to see um, is that what we were teaching in the classroom was not keeping up with the changes um, that were going on in industry. So I started a project looking at um, different types of workers. And a colleague of mine, he said he wanted to join the project and he wanted to look at a specific type of workers. And one of the workers we thought we would look at uh, were digital nomads. So um, through talking to our colleagues in Brazil and we sat and we went through um, just our different ideas. So one of the things that we were just really um, taken aback by was the fact that um, there is very little research or very little talk about applying traditional HR practices within the gig economy. Um, and by gig economy, we mean those firms that operate via online platforms. So that's where our interest started. And we were very keen to find out what are the different expectations of persons working not only remotely, but persons who aren't a part of the organization that work with the organization in some way. So how do they see themselves? How do they interact with the company? And what are their expectations of work? And how does the company manage that kind of independent and external relationship? So that's where the interest in um, managing performance and managing human resources in the gig economy came from. Now we just completed the project and released a paper on it last month. Well, this is April now, in February. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's great. And I'm sure that um, many people are going to have lots of questions or have asked you lots of questions as it pertains to this topic. But how flexible would you say organizations are being as it relates to the workforce from a gig economy perspective? Um, From 
what I've seen, some organizations can, can operate very informally. And when that's the case, what happens sometimes is that uh, gig economy workers are not necessarily, they don't exactly register as workers. Um, organizations, when they operate informally at the same time, um, it allows them a lot of freedom to interact with the worker as they please. But generally, what we found was that organizations generally don't have um, a strategy for working and managing um, digital nomads and other forms of remote workers. So they tend to do it on a very sort of ad hoc basis, which while it provides sometimes some flexibility, the issue with that is that it puts those particular workers at a disadvantage. And it also exposes the company to a lot of risks with regards to data protection, um, security, compliance, and those sorts of things. Okay. So what would you say are, um, sounds like we have a lot of challenging times ahead of us, yes. but doesn't seem like it's something that we can't um, prevail over. But one of the things you just mentioned was the inability to create proper strategies around it. So what would you say are some of the things that a company should look to do as they strategize to be able to have digital nomads within their organization? It becomes, it, it starts, I guess, with a, a, mindset, a mindset shift because a lot of companies don't even see um, digital nomads as a part of the company. And to be fair, a lot of digital nomads don't see themselves as a part of organizations. So it's really understanding the relationship and those sort of expectations and then building um, that level of understanding within the firm. So then we're, when the HR team comes together to think about what practices can be put in place. They're um, designing these practices with the acknowledgement that this is a workforce as well that they have to manage. And one of the things, um, particularly with digital nomads is um, things that they tend to complain about is not being recognized for the work that they do. Um, the fact that they're brought into a project but they're not given the tools by the organization or the information or access they need to complete the project. And that's because they're not generally seen as an important part of the project that they, they're being asked to do or complete. So it's that sort of understanding first, um, that initial understanding of the role of the, let's say the digital nomad, but also by HR professionals, kind of an expansion or widening the talent lens because um, a, a lot of HR um, departments and firms still see primarily their, um, let's say their main source of talent as full-time employees, whereas nomads or remote workers, well, things have changed now, but typically those independent contractors are seen as peripheral. Whereas, uh, whereas in our research before COVID, we predicted that um, by 2020 this year, more than 40, it's predicted that more than 40% of the workforce will be um, independent contractors. But now with um, COVID accelerating that trend, it's expected that that will be by the end of the year, possibly up to 80%, um, additional 40% in growth. So there's this need to um, reconsider who we see as key talent. So then you know how to accommodate them to suit. Definitely. That's, that's a huge insight. What does that mean then for, I guess, like people in the Caribbean who would ordinarily think of having a job for life? Yeah. 
what does that mean now for uh, for for people, especially in the Caribbean, in terms of how they shift and look at the workforce a little differently? I think especially when it comes to preparing employees or workers, and this becomes um, a bit tough because some companies would see it as a risk, um, is developing your employees to be adaptable and flexible and lifelong learners, as opposed to, let's say, developing them for the skills that they need at a specific time within your company. Mm -hmm. But I think the role is really the responsibility of both the HR managers and the specific worker or employees. But it definitely requires some thinking around how we how we manage and where we um, procure our learning and development um, processes. Whereas, let's say, a lot of these might have been internal. A lot of them might have been, let's say, full-blown degrees. Learning now tends to be more, let's say, asynchronous or let's say more bite-sized so it's kind of starting that shift in thinking with regards of how do you ensure that your employability your sorry your employee or your worker remains relevant so making sure that they they can it's not a matter of teaching them the skills that they need but it's a matter of teaching them to learn and to keep learning and to keep pivoting as the situation yes. i hear a lot of um recently we say about unlearning and relearning yeah yeah and it sounds like you're talking about that to some extent correct yeah there's a lot of that in there a lot of um, upskilling yeah and can you just give us a, a definition of what that means in terms of upskilling and reskilling so upskilling i would say reskilling is where you you're, let's say you're an employee and these, something within your sector, your organization or the market that you operate in has changed really drastically. And the skill that you previously performed in that organization is no longer needed. So now you need to find something, a new role within that company if you were to stay employed. That's why I would see reskilling. Whereas upskilling is already developing the skills that you have and making sure those constantly remain relevant to the environment. Right. Right. Okay. I would definitely agree with that. So I'm an HR professional who has never really dealt with um, the gig economy or having digital nomads within my workspace, but I now I'm understanding based on the needs of my company that I need to make this shift. What are some of the things that as a first time HR professional working with digital nomads, do I need to know? I would say start with an idea of, or an expectation, or let's say an acknowledgement, let's put it that way, that the way in which you treat your current employees will not be the same way that you treat your gig workers or you have to accommodate your gig workers. So the expectation around engagement, for example, and the level of engagement that's expected. Also, um, treat, gig, digital nomads sometimes I think they're they're lumped into one group whereas there's so many digital nomads with different needs so for example um, you have the family um, I'll give you an example of when we did the research in Thailand we met um, digital nomads there that traveled as a family so if they're traveling as a family and you're an HR professional who's managing them within your team 
you need to uh, be able to anticipate what might be some of the needs of that particular individual. Then you might have another digital nomad who is 21 and just traveling for a year and moving around. So it's starting with um, an understanding of what um, the type of worker is, the type of lifestyle, so you can start making some predictions around their work expectations and then start to tailor your um, processes to suit. So that might begin even with just an initial, an initial conversation with that individual or person similar to that. Okay. Thank you for that tip. So then tell me, is it possible over time that an entire organization would have digital nomads as employees versus having people physically in the office? And what, what does that look like? Um, there are some companies that operate like that now. So uh, an example is a company called Press Fixer in the in Canada, where they there I know their CEO and their CEO works from home primarily. The entire team in that organization I think is about twelve of them, and this company does very well. Um, there's about twelve of them within that team, and all twelve employees are digital nomads. One's based in Manila, the other one's based in Bali, the other one's based in uh, Sri Lanka, and just they're all they're Nigeria, Canada, just different places across the globe. Mm -hmm. So they're primarily managed by the CEO as she works from home and whatnot, but she uses a, a number of different processes. Um, she structures her meetings in particular ways. She's very familiar with who she works with and she's been doing it. She's been doing it for quite a while. So there are um, entire organizations already that operate purely on digital nomads. It reminds me of um, uh, an interview I saw on, what is it? BBC ages ago where it was, <laughs> Highlighting a lot of secret millionaires walking around that people don't know about. Right. Know about. And there's this entirely different world online, this entirely yeah. different workforce and profession, world of work operating online that a lot of people um, are blind to. I think sometimes we see online as just sending an email, having the occasional Zoom chat and so forth. Yeah. Where, um, like when we went to, uh, we went to Thailand and we went to Bali to speak mm -hmm. to different persons and their entire and, and in Thailand we went to Bangkok and then we went to one of the islands Kolanta and in Bangkok there were massive communities of these workers who just constantly travel and wow. they meet um, just for the sake of some community and then mm -hmm. when we went north of um, Thailand we went to Chiang Mai and even there the community the sense of community is stronger and mm -hmm. almost entire because oh, Mai, Chiang Mai is the, the modern city and then you have the the old city in the center. And that almost that entire city was filled with expats because they're all digital nomads who are there mm -hmm. for three to six months and so forth. Right. And they're just there to work. So they may go at night or you'll just see them during the day working from cafes and so forth. It's mm -hmm. like this whole world. <laughs> yeah, wow. I mean, I, I, I did watch a video sometime back and I can't remember where I watched it, but uh, it was talking about this similar same thing. And yeah. it was the the guy was giving examples of different companies that he knew of that operated this way, and yeah. he was given an example of one company which I think is in Sweden or Norway, which yeah. is just they're all nurses from all over the world, but they mm -hmm. all operate digitally. So they they have one big digital dashboard that tells them who their customers are. These are the fees that they charge but they run this digital nursing business with 
all these different nurses all over the world. And I thought that that was super impressive and the kind of, and it also came about because he was talking about the similar thing you spoke of which is that you have all of these secret millionaires all over the place who yeah. are working this way and they're doing it successfully yeah there are so, a lot of them. yeah so in terms of that then what does this mean for um economies countries and their economies I think it is very, like, let's give an example of Indonesia and Thailand. Um, to those economies, it started to make um, such a dent, or the governments there have recognized the contribution that that particular pool of workers make to the point where they've started to create special visas for those type of workers to encourage okay. them to come. Of course, sometimes you have um, the, the, the negative side effects, so sometimes you can have... Um, the social elements, sometimes there's a bit of a social divide between the local and the expats that we found. Um, but where we're talking about that, that economic contribution, it's been noticed so much that you have um, Thailand introducing a special business visa and also um, Indonesia introducing a particular um, tourist visa just to accommodate these type of workers. So you find that they come and go. Uh, what, what would happen previously is that they could come to the country, let's say a digital nomad could go to Bali. Let's use Thailand. They could go to Thailand um, on a visitor's visa, stay for 30 days. And then after 30 days, they have to hop over to Vietnam um, or Burma to renew their visa and then come back to the country to work for another 30 days. So instead of having to do that, the governments, because of the, the contribution that they've made in that form of business tourism, they're saying, no, if we'll have a special visa that allows for this type of work. And um, some European countries are doing it as well. I think Estonia is one that's way ahead when it comes to digital operation. Okay. What do you think this means then for the, the Caribbean? I think there are a lot of opportunities for the Caribbean. Um, one of the things is that in terms of tourism, especially when you have um, things like this that's affected tourism massively, like the pandemic um, and other potential situations that might cause people to, to not want to go so far to spend their money elsewhere. I think um, this sort of industry provides a real opportunity um, where we want to diversify, let's say, the type of travelers that we get or so forth. I think you do have different different types of digital nomads. You'll have those ones that will travel, let's say, not too far from, let's say if a person is coming from England, they might choose to travel in other parts of Europe. Maybe if they want to travel far, they'll go to Asia. And then they might say, okay, well, the Caribbean is a bit too expensive. And that's what we've heard from a lot of people when right. we ask we consider Barbados. Yes. But we do have the um, other class of digital nomads who aren't just students who's already, they've made their 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 thousands or millions mm -hmm. and they're looking for a really nice location or something that suits just their life. In. Yeah, and they're willing to travel. Right. So I think if we were to start catering to this type of um, worker or tourist, then I think there's some opportunities there. But then... It's not just that international tourism as well. It's also in the local setting. So there are a lot of people in Barbados that already work in this way and that are already digital nomads. Right. But before COVID, there was this um, general, or let's say this, this perception that remote working couldn't work uh, in Barbados. And I remember yeah. I got some lashes for this on the radio. You did? <laughs> After her mad last year. Uh -huh. um, 
were on brass stacks. Um, someone picked up on the article in the business authority and they were saying, I didn't know what I was talking about remote working can work in Barbados. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, I guess it was, you know, so it was quite interesting. Um, and that person must be kicking himself right now. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think there's a, a, a lot that we can do that HR professionals can do that the government can do that can accommodate this type of work. Yeah. So the, if it's not so much just about remote working, but um, considering as well where else in the economy or where else in the in the country we can pull pools of workers as opposed to relying solely on full-time workers. And yes. it's the way for a lot of companies as well to keep their overheads down. Where you're, let's say you're a young entrepreneur and you can't afford to hire um, a full team of employees or you can't afford to have an office, similar to that press fixer. Mm -hmm around the world did working on different um let's say rates and currencies and so forth um yes. and you can have a team where you don't need a central office and that sort of thing and keep your overheads down so mm -hmm. for entrepreneurs as well it provides a lot of opportunity so i do think that there is there is a lot of opportunity there but i think at the same time the the government in the country has a role to play in facilitating those opportunities absolutely and I hope that our listeners are open to recognizing the importance of the shift that is about to take place as a result of COVID-19. So previously where people have said, as you mentioned before, that it can't work, um, we're now recognizing that working from home, working remotely can work. And for most people where they would have had that struggle before, they're going to recognize the importance now of having to make that shift. Yeah, and it's definitely it's definitely a cultural thing. I think sometimes a lot when firms think about remote working, they tend to concentrate so much on the tools that facilitate remote working, as opposed to building a culture that allows for effective remote working. Mm -hmm. So as you have people that aren't used to remote working, those feelings of isolation, where you have misinterpretations um, in communication, where you have micromanagement, because um, a lot of, I think there, a, a big misunderstanding with remote working is that you have to attempt to recreate the environment of the office online or at home. And where you make that assumption, then it goes wrong because the circumstances yeah. aren't the same. Particularly mm -hmm. with COVID-19, this is not normal remote working. And if you treat it like that, your productivity will suffer. Absolutely. So I think, yeah, I think and, and we're seeing that now for sure. Like yeah. um, I was reading an article just, just a few hours ago uh, from Gallup where they were talking about how you need to make the adjustments for parents and that you have to okay. recognize that parents will not have the same hours when they work from home as they would in the office because they're entertaining their children. They yeah. have to feed them, they have to bathe them, they have to entertain them, educate them because the schools are closed. So this yeah. is not just not the new normal for adults. It's not the new normal for children. It's not the new normal for elderly people who just take joy rides on the bus because they can do it for free and they can't do that now. So this is yeah. not the new normal for everyone. And yeah. So we have to recognize that it is important to pivot. And one of the suggestions that Gallup made in the article that I really appreciated was, you know, we usually say to people, can you get me this by close of business? Yeah. If your hours are nine to five, 
you're yeah. asking me to give you something by five o'clock when my children are still up running around um yeah. pretty much probably getting ready for dinner yeah so instead they're saying just say you know get if you could get this to me by yeah. the next business day mm-hmm. whereas that makes it easier because then for lots of parents they can then once the children have gone to bed and they're settled yeah. in they can then probably tap in for another couple hours and get the job done. So it's not the new normal all around, you know, and whether that be that because we're dealing with our children or our elderly parents or disabled family members, because I thought while it applied to parents, it really does apply all the way around to people who have elderly parents, to people who are dealing with persons with disabilities in their family. That is not the new normal. This is... It is business as usual and we need to find a different way to operate when it comes to our expectations of our employees when they're working from home absolutely yeah and I think the micromanagement really has to stop but I think one of the things that Mike um that this whole shift especially this very rapid shift to remote working for some companies will reveal is the pre-existing toxic culture within those companies yes this idea that you have to make those persons are seeking to micromanage their workers because they don't trust them. They know why they don't trust them. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a really good example. I was speaking to someone the other day where they're working from home and they were going on and on about the things that their boss is doing, where this, their boss doesn't allow them to leave the computer unless their boss physically signs each employee out. And until each employee signed out, then they can't leave the screen because they'll be seen as leaving the job. And she was she was saying that only works, the boss is being like that because there are some people that slack off. But some of the people that slack off are friends of the boss who then take liberties. So it's this sort of existing, yeah. might, politics within the company there might be bad hiring from before there might have been bad management practice within the company from before yes so when you now you shift suddenly to remote working all of those things come to a head yes so I think that's one thing that really needs to be taken under consideration so where you have those bosses saying well can I trust my employees I can't I can't I have to see them physically working in order Mm -hmm. to know that they're working then that's very telling of other issues yes that's that's one of my huge um, pet peeves Rochelle I talk about it all the time even before COVID I I, I'm a huge advocate for measuring productivity I'm not a bum in a seat because I could be at work from nine to five yeah watching YouTube playing all kind of video games and yeah. not getting any work done. So don't talk to me about the person who doesn't miss work and is always there from nine to five because if their yeah. output is less than the person who probably has a family yeah. situation that they have to deal with, but is getting the work done on yeah. a weekly basis, on a daily basis, then you know yeah. what are we really measuring? We should really Absolutely. be measuring the productivity. And so... For me, yeah. that's, that's a huge pet peeve for me as an, as an HR professional. We do have this culture of presenteeism um, mm-hmm. within the Caribbean. And I think part of the issue as well with the presenteeism and the micromanagement, I think part of it is historical. We have that, um, that that's history, that sort of plantation history in the past with the overseer managing the relationship of the worker and that, that constant eyes on 
on the worker and that I think um, when after after that period ended, after we gained our independence, those institutions were never those were just replicated in different yeah. ways. The idea that the, the the worker needs to be watched and needs to be watched so closely. Um, I think I'll I'll give you a scenario in my job in the UK, not of that situation, but of the opposite, where I always say I felt like this particular firm. I would have worked for forever because of what they said to me on the first day of work. Um, I said to them, I had just, it was July 1st, my first day of work. I got the job two weeks before that. I already had a holiday booked to Barbados for July 15th. So I showed up and I said, um, um, I, I need to tell you, I already have this holiday booked. I tried to change it, but they say if I change it, I'll lose a lot of money. Um, the type of ticket isn't changeable, so I'll, I'd have to just lose my 800 pounds, which I didn't uh -huh. want to do. Um, and my boss said to me, I said, he's, oh, I told him that I'm worried because I may not have the vacation time to take this as yet. Right. My boss said to me, Listen to me. The term starts in September. Of course, you have your prep to do before then. I don't care where you do it. I don't care how you do it. <laughs> Once when September comes, um, you, you've done everything you need to do. Then you can work from the beach. You can work from your home. Uh, it doesn't matter. I don't, you don't have to be here to work once right. you get that you know you're meant to be doing. Wow. I stayed with them for four years. <laughs> wow, that's huge. I only moved on because of per, um, personal circumstances. Right. But they, they had me from day one as yeah. soon as because it communicated one a level of trust. Right. It communicated also the way in which they work. And that said a lot to me about the company yeah. and the place I'd be working for. Yeah. I think there's, we need to acknowledge the fact as well that not everybody works and are productive in the same way. No. So the fact that we're trying to pigeonhole everyone, force them into, let's say, um, an office to work the same way in the same hours mm -hmm. and that. I think that's something also that that needs to be more challenged as well. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I honestly hope that what COVID-19 has done for the planet in terms of healing the earth of itself, because people are not moving around so much, that it also does the same for organizations that really need to make the necessary adjustments to yeah. be successful in terms of leading in the future of work. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of, op I mean, of course, there's going to be a very negative economic um, hit that the Caribbean's going to take as a result of this pandemic. Um, but at the same time, amidst the crisis, there's a lot of opportunity for innovation. There are a lot of opportunities to do things differently. If you look at the fact that um, before this before this pandemic, the rate of productivity in Barbados has not really shifted. Um, if you use Barbados as an example, in the last 20 years, it's, it's not really shifted in terms of the percentage. Um, but yet when uh, old ideas and old ways of doing things are challenged, they're resisted or they're pushed against because right. we're so comfortable in that old system. Whereas right. We, I think the environment, the, the global environment, the, um, the Caribbean environment, the local Barbadian environment, things are changing so quickly that the way we operated 40 years ago or one year ago cannot yes. be changed. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that leads me to our last question. Mm -hmm. What would you say is one of your biggest 
pet peeves as an HR professional that you think people have about HR that you would like to clear up? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> um, Which one? <laughs> I think the biggest peeve is really the contribution that HR can make. I think a lot of the times HR is still seen as paper pushers, pencil pushers, whereas people people are the foundation of the organization, you know? People are the foundation of its success and, and the economy as a whole, but the way in which, and I mean, it's not just business's fault. A part of that might be HR's fault as well. Um, but often I think that the contribution that HR can really make um, sometimes is not realized or sometimes it's not recognized mm-hmm. as opposed to being seen for the, the strategic role that HR is meant to be. Often yeah. HR is seen as more punitive, something that no one wants anything to, to, to do with and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I think really the reason for that is when HR is done poorly. So yeah. where I think my pet peeve is where in those particular experiences of let's say bad HR practice paints this negative image for, yeah. the, for HR as a field and yeah. HR practitioners where I know people like yourself, um, people, um, there are a lot of people, um, CIPD, the work that CIPD does, I love the disrupt HR movement. Um, there are a lot of HR professionals out there that are really passionate about the way in which people work and how that affects the company, how that changes a person's life. Yes, I would say that's my pet peeve. If HR is not seen for what it can be. I think that that's a big one for a lot of us as HR professionals, because as you rightly said, the place that we play within an organization, whereas from a business partner, strategic ally perspective, you know, when we're not seen as that, then that's where a lot of the problems come or challenges come for us. But I recently spoke with someone who told me, she wanted to challenge HR professionals on that. So she was saying, you know, a lot of times HR professionals will say to her, you know, oh, I don't know, um, I don't have a seat at the table or, you know, leadership doesn't take me seriously. And she would say, well, why? Have you shown yourself to be a strategic partner? Like, I want to challenge you to show yourself as a strategic partner and why you deserve the seat at the table. And with that then just comes letting them speak in the language of the business. Because like you rightly said, a lot of us to our own detriment see at the table because we haven't shown our value or our worth, right? Whether right or wrong are okay to push paper. Mm, Yeah. Yes. Um, But for those of us who are not, then we have to show our worth. And with that comes putting in the work and proving to the business that we deserve the seat that we're asking for. HR is a very dynamic field. And I think it really starts um, for with HR organizations, um, sorry, HR departments within organizations coming out mm-hmm. of the HR department and working more closely with other parts of the organization so they can understand in what way they can show their strategic value or to help the organization achieve goals in different areas or better align their goals. I could not agree with you more. Dr. Rochelle Haynes, you have survived your time in the sound booth. Thank you so much for your time today. Can you tell us where can we find you on social media? 
Um, so I, you'll find me on LinkedIn as Dr. Rochelle Haynes, or you can find me on Twitter as well as R. Haynes, Dr. R. Haynes. Um, or you can have a look at my consulting website, crowdpotential.co.uk, to find out more about what we do and the research that we've done as well in the last few years. Awesome. And what's next for you? What is next? Ooh. So at the minute, um, I'm, I'm a senior lecturer in the UK, but I'm also running consultancy. And because of what's been going on with the COVID-19, that has been accelerated very quickly because of the area that we deal with. So my next aim is just to continue building, to, to reach out to companies and to see how we can help with the research that we have that can inform the, the current situation. So I think, yeah, just to, to keep building and contributing and collaborating where I can. Wonderful. Well, we wish you all the very best in whatever you're going to do. And we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. I am sure that where the gig economy is concerned, you're going to make waves in that space. And we will continue to look out for the progress that you're going to make to help us to get people more in charge of their workforce, but also recognizing that your workforce does not have to be physically in the space where you work. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms at I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again when we next sound off.